Friends, let us pray. Gracious God, during this Advent season of preparation, help us to prepare our hearts and our minds that we might receive what you're gifting us and that we might become more and more the people you have created us to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Last week we heard John the Baptist get all fired up because the Sadducees and Pharisees had come out to the countryside to see what this baptism of repentance stuff was all about. And John tells them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Don't begin to think that your bloodline or your resume will get you a ticket to the banquet. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees and every tree that does not bear fruit will be cut down. God will separate the wheat and the chaff. The wheat will be gathered in and the chaff will be thrown into the fire to burn. Today we see a very different John the Baptist. John is in prison and he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or are we to wait for another? Whoa, Nellie, hold on. I mean, isn't John supposed to be Jesus' first and biggest fan? Isn't he the one who recognized Jesus when they were both in utero, for crying out loud? Didn't he baptize Jesus in the Jordan when they were both all grown up? John had announced that someone was coming who would bring fiery judgment, a pitchfork in one hand and an axe for unfruitful trees in the other. But that was back at the beginning. Here we are eight chapters later, and a lot has happened. Jesus is well into his ministry, and John has been watching. Jesus isn't simply repeating John's warning of judgment on God's people. He's announcing the inbreaking of God's reign and presence here and now, even for the least lost and last. Jesus hasn't taken up the lifestyle of an ascetic prophet like John but eats and drinks with sinners and tax collectors, refusing to take on the clothing or the attitude of one in mourning. But the biggest issue seems to be that Jesus has not assumed the role of a Davidic warrior king. Indeed, Jesus preaches turning the other cheek and loving our enemy. He's not marched on Jerusalem or thundered condemnations against Caesar and his ilk. And now John is languishing in prison while the very powers he railed against continue unabated. Herod, who threw him in jail, still rules and flouts God's laws. The religious leaders continue to operate a transactional system in the temple that oppresses the people and has moved far from the will of God. John foretold a savior who would be all law and order that would clean house. And here Jesus is forgiving the most heinous of sinners and giving them a second chance and a third and even more. All of this is very confusing to John. It is not what he was expecting at all. Several years ago, an experiment was conducted at Harvard it was designed to test the power of expectation over perception. 
The test consisted in giving someone a deck of cards and then asking them to thumb through it and see if they noticed anything unusual about it. Only the deck is rigged. The six of spades is red instead of black. And the experiment revealed that most people, in most cases, the person didn't recognize any irregularity. Because most of us are quite familiar with a deck of cards, we expect spades to be black. And although we see a red six of spades, our expectation overrides our perception. This is kind of what's happening with John. John's Messiah would come with vengeance and the power of the Holy Spirit to gather the wheat and burn the chaff. Yet this picture is anything but what he has been hearing about Jesus and his ministry. John expected one kind of savior. God sent another. And John is having trouble believing his own eyes and ears. And so he asks, are you the one who is to come? Or are we to wait for another? There is some comfort for us in the idea that one with, a, with convictions and faith as strong as John is capable of doubt as strong as ours. Because we too have trouble seeing Jesus as he actually is. We have expectations for how Jesus will act in the world and in our lives we have expectations for who he will bless and who will get their comeuppance. We have ex expectations about what is holy and what is profane. We have expectations about who will be in and who will be out. And we don't restrict our expectations just to Jesus. We have lots of expectations of each other. Richard Rohr says expectations are disappointments waiting to happen. At a time of year when many of us are preparing to spend long hours in intimate spaces with family members and loved ones, many of whom have never met our expectations and most of whom never will, it is good to remember this. The people in our lives have been given to us. Just as we are who we are, they are who they are. Instead of frustrating ourselves trying to change them, or wearing ourselves out trying to please them? What if we just accept that they are who they are? We wanna be allowed to be who we are, yes? So why wouldn't we offer that same space to others? We don't have to be the people that others want us to be. We don't have to play the role they want us to play. We don't have to meet their expectations. We only have to be who we truly are. And we're called to afford them that same grace. This is easier to do when we're roaming free in the sunny countryside than when we're imprisoned in a small, dark space. It's understandable that John has doubts. He's tired and discouraged. His ministry has not ended the way he imagined, and God's reign does not look the way he had hoped. When we're imprisoned by our disappointment that our lives or relationships are not what we had hoped, by the pain of our unmet needs, 
by our disillusionment about the harshness of this world in which we live. Our response can be to stubbornly cling to our expectations of what should be. We, like John the Baptist, may find ourselves doubting the effectiveness or even the existence of God's goodness. When we allow ourselves to have these expectations, we create blinders through which everything is viewed. Just like that red six of spades, if it doesn't fit the criteria that we've established, we don't even see it. And as a result, we can miss a lot of God's activity and blessings. Jesus' response to John's question is, tell John what you see and hear. This is his response to you and me as well. God is present and active all around us. If only we have the eyes to see it and the ears to hear it. He's active in our providing Christmas gifts for the children and seniors of the Jubilee Park community through I Believe in Angels. He's active in our generous support of the St. Philip's community, the Bachman Lake Together community, and that Jubilee community through our Heart of Giving campaign. He's active when we visit with those who are sick or grieving, especially at this time of year. He's active in the gathering of family and loved ones to participate in beloved traditions so old, we don't even know how or why we started them. And he's active as he fills our hearts with joy and wonder as we ponder that he comes to us as one of us and tells us that nothing can separate us from his love and care. Our lives are ultimately shaped by the expectations that we hold, for good or for ill. Jesus says, blessed are those with eyes to see and ears to hear. How are our expectations keeping us from seeing God's action and grace all around us? How might we allow him to transform our expectations and open our eyes that we might see the Messiah as he truly is and be thankful? Let us commit during this Advent season and beyond to look for God's presence and activity every day. Then we will receive the blessing that comes with having eyes to see and ears to hear. Amen.